The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. We are in the middle of a series on what biblical peace looks like, uh, the gift of biblical peace. Um, and we're walking through what peace is. Uh, peace, we think, uh, is encompassed by the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, it means wholeness or like um, a state of being where brokenness is restored and things are made whole. Uh, and what we're trying to hit on is peace isn't just the absence of conflict or a calm and hurried feeling in our lives, but it's so much more than that. Um, but before we get into that, uh, as I'm talking about what it looks like to have peace in a storm tonight, uh, I thought I'd give you some info about who I am. I'll let you guys get to know me. Um, I was born on July 19th, 1993. Um, I'm 22 years old. This is me a couple days after I was born. You can tell I come from an Irish family. I got a little redhead there. Um, I'm from Danville, California, which is uh, outside of San Francisco. McKenna's from there. Anyone else? Yeah? Yeah? Cool. Uh, I went to San Ramon Valley High School. Um, go Wolves. Uh, Danville is like the equivalent of Issaquah to Seattle. Um, I went to Washington State University. Okay, okay, I just, let's, hey, let's just get this out of the way. Go Cougs, and you guys say, I was looking for go dogs, but good to know you hate us. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, I graduated with a degree in neuroscience in May. Um, and I spent the summer, oh yeah, that's my family. Look, I graduated. Hey, um, so thank you, thank you. I didn't think I was gonna make it, um, but I'll introduce you to my family too. That's my little sister Casey on the left. Uh, when we go hang out together, people think we're twins. Oh, uh, it's super weird. Um, my dad, Bill, he's a professor at Berkeley. Uh, that's me in the middle, if you couldn't tell. Uh, that's my mom, Karen, next to me. Uh, she's the best. We call her the kindness fairy in my house. Uh, I don't think I've met anyone who's nicer or uh, more full of the Spirit of God. And that is my badass sister, Morgan. Uh, she's a sophomore at Point Loma Nazarene in San Diego. Uh, she just made All-American for soccer down there, um, which is crazy. So she's the jock of the family. Uh, Casey's the brains, and I don't know what I am. Um, well, hey, uh, I thought I'd, I'd give you guys some fun facts about myself. Uh, and so I texted my little sister, Casey, um, and said, hey, Case, like, do you have any fun facts about me that people need to know? And the responses she sent back were not appropriate for church, uh, <laughs> which I was, I was really surprised because it was like, she's 16, she's a junior. And so she shoots back some of these things, and I was reading them going like, oh my, Casey, I can't say these. But the funniest one and the cleanest one was, um, I have really big eyebrows. If I take my glasses off, you can tell. Uh, my dad called me Brezhnev in high school. Uh, he was a Russian premier who had, someone got it, someone got it. <laughs> You're a nerd. Um, and my little sister goes, Ryan, your eyebrow hair could be knit into blankets and you could keep all of the orphans of the world warm and still have leftovers. <laughs> what? Like, who says that? So she's a turd, uh, but I love her. Just kidding, she's not a turd, sometimes. Um, so I decided to come up with a couple of my own. Um, I am a huge New York Mets fan. Uh, actually, underneath my flannel, I'm wearing a New York Mets shirt. There's uh, a picture of me at Safeco Field when I was like seven, six, I don't know, I was young. Uh, honestly, that could have been me as a sophomore in high school and a lot of people couldn't <laughs> tell. 
Um, <laughs> the only reason I know is my little sisters are like really little in that picture. Um, in college, I was a graphic designer and a photographer. Uh, I used to get to paid to shoot concerts and stuff. This is just a picture. Um, this is where you clap for me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I skied and climbed all through college. Um, I love being outside. I went backpacking this summer a bunch. Um, additionally, I played like every sport growing up. Uh, I was that kid who wasn't great at one sport, but I was good at like a lot of them. So I'd play basketball and I'm not great, but I know enough to like dribble. Uh, I ran cross country, I was a captain, and that was like the one thing I was actually good at until I got hurt, and then it was, you know, I cried or whatever. Um, but uh, my fifth fun fact, uh, I hate being scared. Are there any people out there who just like refuse to watch horror movies? Yeah? Okay, that was me growing up. Like, I hate horror movies, I hate ghost stories, I hate like things that aren't even scary. So I have a clip from a movie that you guys will all recognize instantly, that when I was like 13, scared the crap out of me. And I, like, I couldn't watch it. I watched it two or three weeks ago over break with my family. I guess that was like a month ago. Uh, and they laughed at me because I was still like, oh man, that's creepy. Uh, so play the clip real quick. Look, the moonlight shows us for what we really are. We are not among the living, and so we cannot hide. Neither are we dead. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing. Not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea. Nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. Right? Like, someone tell me that wasn't just me. Like, I just, that was so realistic. Man, there was a scene where the skeletons climb up the, the chain, and I was, I remember being 13, hanging out with my cousins watching this movie, and I went like this, and they went like, and we didn't watch the movie. It, was, it worked out, I guess. Um, point of the story, I'm a, I was a scaredy cat growing up. Uh, but I saw a story on the internet the other day that a squirrel got a Washington State degree. Did anyone else see that? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, Joel did. Um, I got a couple texts from people who were like, oh, your school sucks, a squirrel got a degree. It's satire. You guys go to UW, I thought you'd get that. <laughs> but um, just to prove that I actually learned something in college, I was a neuroscience major and I love understanding why things happen. Um, and growing up, I got pranked a lot because I'm a fraidy cat. Uh, and I was a senior in college before I realized, wait, there's like a reason for that. Um, I have a really highly attuned fight or flight system. Go figure, right? Uh, when someone jumps out at me, my body initiates two responses. The first response is that it dumps a bunch of adrenaline into my system. Uh, and what that does is it raises my heart rate, my breathing rate, it increases the blood supply to my muscles, it increases, or shortens, I guess, my reflex time, and it dilates my pupil. Point, I get Superman when I get scared. And all this starts out in different brain areas, but it goes through your amygdala, which is the area that processes emotion. 
Um, I learned how to spell it as Amy G. Dalla in like human anatomy in high school. I didn't realize it was amygdala until I was like a junior in normal anatomy. <laughs> it's whatever. Um, but the amygdala initiates a response in our body before my brain realizes it's just a prank. Someone just slammed the locker next to me. It's no big deal. Now, what's interesting is while my body's reacting, my brain is processing. And so I have a body reaction before I have a brain reaction. And that's crazy, right? Because it would go like this. Prank happens, body responds. Brain is processing what happens while the body's reacting. Brain realizes it's a prank after we've reacted. Ryan feels stupid for being pranked and reacting. But Ryan has good instincts and would survive the zombie apocalypse. That was, the, that was my logic when I read through this. Um, and so there's a story in the Bible that we're going to talk about tonight uh, where the disciples experience fear. Uh, they experience terror. And Jesus speaks into that. And I get the disciples' fear because I was a scaredy cat. Uh, so we're going to look at it. It's in Luke 8, 22 through 25. Um, it should be up on the screen. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And so he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. Oops, wrong one. <laughs> and in fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So we can look at this story, um, and we can kind of break it down into three acts, and I think three responses that we can grab from it. So act one, a journey begins. Has anyone seen Lord of the Rings or read the books? Yeah, probably a lot of people. You've read the books, haven't you? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, the books are awesome. But the very first book is about the start of a journey. Uh, so we can see that the, Jesus invites the disciples onto a journey. Um, I think we all get invited on a journey, right? Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. Something they've done before. Uh, these guys are fishermen. They grew up in this lake. They've sailed this lake before. Nothing new. Nothing crazy. They're not like, oh, Jesus, I don't know. It's uh, looking stormy out. They're like, no. Okay, cool. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. They have no, no context for what's about to happen. And so I think Jesus invites us to walk with him on journeys. I think we get asked um, by Jesus to walk with him every single day. That's act one. It's really short. But act two is where the story gets good, I think. The journey gets bumpy. Have you ever been on a story that went, or on a journey that went south? Uh, I said I loved being outside and backpacking. Well, this summer I actually backpacked through Yosemite. I went with my two best friends and, the, and one of his dads. CJ is the guy in the middle. Hap is taking the picture. That's Jeff, his dad. Um, we hiked 85 miles through the backcountry of Yosemite. Uh, we camped at a lake at like 10,000 feet. We climbed over a mountain pass that was at 13,000 feet. We climbed Half Dome at sunrise, which was dope. And we kind of dealt with a crisis. Um, it was the trip of my life until it almost wasn't. Um, at about three or four days into the trip, we were stopped at this lake called Lower Ottawa Lake, and it's that lake that was at 10,000 feet. Um, now, all of us, the three guys, are, I'm 22, CJ's 22, Hap was 20. Uh, Jeff is 57. So he's like hanging out with people, what, that works out to be like a third of his age? I'm bad at math. Um, and Jeff 
was laying down. He was resting in this beautiful meadow we were camped in. I wish I had a picture, but my phone was dead. Um, and he was laying down off to the side, and I think me and CJ were fishing, and Hap was hanging out with his dad, talking to him. And all of a sudden, Hap's like, hey, guys, can you, can you come back here for a second? Yeah, sure. We're not catching anything anyways, whatever. Um, we roll up, and Jeff goes, boys, we have a problem. We're like, uh-oh, that's not good. And he says, my heart, like, I'm getting pains in my heart, pains in my left arm, um, all of these symptoms. Does anyone out there kind of just off the left arm pain and the heart pain can give me like a preliminary diagnosis? Heart attack, right? That's what I thought. I was pre-med, CJ was a business major, half's a theology major. So they all looked at me and they're like, what's happening? I was like, uh, well, it sounds like a heart attack to me, but I could be wrong. Well, that's bad. We're like 25 miles into the backcountry that we hiked. And it was up 6,000 vertical feet of basically the side of a mountain. And we were like, oh, crap, that's not good. A storm came up out of nowhere when we didn't think anything was going to go wrong because we're young and immature and naive. Um, Von Schodenard, who is the founder of Patagonia and consequently Black Diamond, uh, has this quote that I love. He says, the word adventure has gotten overused. To me, when everything goes wrong, that is when adventure starts. Jesus has called us to a life of adventure, trusting him and the waves come up. The disciples got to experience this the hard way when they were in the middle of a storm that happened. But before we get there, Jesus was asleep in the boat. And we have this tendency as humans, when we don't see Jesus working, or we're going through our normal motions, that Jesus isn't there with us. We think we're doing this by ourselves. We think about what we're doing next week, and we think, oh, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go to... Malibu for the summer. I'm going to go intern at Community Presbyterian Church, which is where McKenna and I went. Um, If anyone wants to intern and you don't get the job here, I can hook you up. (laughs) Um, And we don't see Jesus working with us. He's asleep in our boat. And so, when Jesus fell asleep, his disciples probably felt like they were abandoned when the storm started. Now, the Sea of Galilee is really interesting because it's the second lowest lake in the world and it's the lowest freshwater lake. It's 700 feet below sea level, surrounded on all sides by big hills. Now, the ones on the eastern side are really big, and when cold air shoots through them, it kind of collides in like this, you know, two fists. There's a car going this way and a car going this way, and they kind of bang into each other. That creates a really big storm in the lake. And this happened all the time. The disciples who are fishermen who grew up in this lake would have been used to that. But this storm was really big. And we see that um, the disciples started freaking out. They started freaking out when their boat started getting swamped. The waves came up, and they were crashing over the side of the boat. And they were going, holy crap, we're so screwed. Jesus is in the front. He's sleeping. What is he doing? You're freaking sleeping right now? Where Everyone else is like a bucket, and they're bailing, and Jesus is like... You know, another book of the Bible says Jesus was sleeping on a pillow. Uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. They gave Jesus a pillow to sleep on in a boat. Why do they have a pillow in the boat? <laughs> Whatever. Um, so when Hap's dad went down with heart pains, everyone looked to me, and they're like, Ryan, what do we do? And CJ and I kind of put our heads together, and we're like, well, we probably should like, figure out a way to like one of us to go get help, and, and one of us go over the mountain pass and like try and find people over there. Um, Hap was freaking out about his dad. He was nervous, right? Like, he was a theology major. He couldn't really do any first aid training. Although he is an Eagle Scout, an Eagle Scout so I guess he was maybe more qualified than the rest of us. Um, 
Now, Jeff had a really interesting reaction. At first, he was super nervous, and you could tell. It was on his face, and it was that moment of like, oh, crap, this sucks. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do? But then all of a sudden, his reaction started changing as the week went on. Um, I think all of us did what the disciples did. Uh, enter Act 3. Jesus offers peace to his disciples. Sorry, Act 2, the takeaways, the journey gets bumpy, but Jesus is still with us. He's not asleep. Well, I mean, he is asleep in the book, in this story, but he's not asleep in our life, right? He's called us to go on a journey with him. I think the next one is uh, when the life... Yeah. Oh, maybe I was wrong. My bad. Um, okay, Act 3. Jesus offers us peace through trust. Um, now, we see Jesus sleeping in the boat in this story, and we freak out that Jesus doesn't care. The disciples see that, and they go, they wake him up, and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Get a bucket. Help us. Like, we're freaking out right now. And Jesus is probably, like, yawning. He's like, what are you doing? Stop it. But, like, the disciples' response was the logical response, wasn't it? Like, their boat was sinking. Hey, Jesus, wake up. Don't be sleeping. There's water in the bottom of the boat. But... Jesus offers something instead of anxiety. Instead of feeding into their anxiety and going, oh crap, we are screwed, we should do something. Jesus stands up and calms the storm. Like, he doesn't grab a bucket. He stands up and says, stop, wind, waves, take a chill pill. Like, come on, I'm working here. He calms the mother freaking storm. <laughs> Can we just appreciate that? And then after doing that, he looks at them and goes, where was your faith? And I don't think he said it like, where was your faith, guys? Like, come on, I had that. I think it was a really tender, guys, like, where was your faith? Why didn't you trust me? Like, you're freaking out. I'm right here. And the disciples look at each other, and the Bible says, with much fear and amazement. Isn't that like two really weird emotions to be kind of tied together? Like absolutely amazed at what just happened, but also scared crapless. Like, holy, what just, oh my gosh. And they turned to each other and said, who is this? He commands the wind and the water and they obey him. Now, when I was in college, um, y'all take prereqs, right? Where you need to take like intro-level bio, intro-level chemistry. Well, for neuroscience, we had to take genetics, biochem, uh, molecular biology, like all these really stupid science classes. Um, and they all, the promise was, hey, when you get to the upper level classes, they'll all combine together and you'll like know what you're talking about and you won't really need to study. That's a bold-faced lie. <laughs> I studied more in my last two years than the first two, which is probably how school goes, right? But whatever. I didn't think that. Um, I was really surprised. I think I was the only one. Uh, but I was in this class and it was called The Biological Basis of Behavior. Um, it was Neuroscience 333, and I won't forget that. I also won't forget this one test that I took. Now, I was cocky, and I was also lazy, and I had this thing called senioritis. So, you know, that's an actual disease, let me tell you. It was awful. And I didn't study for a test. Now, we were going through the genetics section. I had just taken genetics the semester prior. Um, and I was like, oh, I can wing this. I'll be fine. If anything, I'll pull a, like a C, C's get degrees, you know. <laughs> I'll roll with it. Um, that was the wrong assumption to make about this test. So I'm going through it going, I've just failed this test. At least I get to drop a test, but I didn't do great on the first test either. And I still have a final, oh, crap, like, <laughs> what am I going to do? Um, 
And so I came to this question with two pages left, and it was a 20 a 20-point essay question. Now, I understood the entire question, save one word. And this word was pleiotropy. Does anyone know what pleiotropy means? Anyone in genetics right now? Okay. I was I had like a 50-50 choice of what it was in my head. Uh, and both were like as different as Mars and Earth. Uh, so I was like, damned if I do, damned if I don't. I don't know which one to pick. I had no idea. Uh, what I learned pleiotropy means uh, is that one gene impacts two or more unrelated traits. So like if a gene mutates and all of a sudden you get pink hair and purple skin as a result. Really random. Like I don't know why I needed to know this. I don't remember the question. Um, but I started doing some mental math in that moment. of like, okay, I have a phone in my pocket. It's got Google on it. I kind of have to pee. I should go to the bathroom and look it up. No, that's cheating. Ryan, what are you thinking about? Come on, you love Jesus. What are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of like give me a slap on the head. And the devil's like, do it, do it. No one's going to know. And I was like, no, okay, crap, I really have to pee now. Like, <laughs> is someone pouring water around here? Like, what is going on? And so I have this moment where I go, hey, TA, can I go to the bathroom? And he was a super cool guy. He was like, yeah, man, just leave your test here. Don't do anything stupid. Right, because I wasn't about to do that. And I had this moment where I, I put, took my phone out of my pocket, put it in my backpack, and then put it back in my pocket. And was like, I want to check Instagram, because I was addicted to Instagram at that point. Um, I swear, I was like, walked out the door. All of a sudden, I was on my phone on Google with the word pleiotropy in its definition. Whoa. I crossed a line <laughs> that I wasn't expecting to cross, but was really tempted to cross. And then I had this like really existential crisis of, do I use this answer now? Like I totally know what that meant. I didn't actually know what it meant. I had no no chance of knowing what pleiotropy meant. But I come back from the bathroom, and for whatever stupid reason, I decide to use the answer on the test. Um, I talked myself into it, and all of a sudden, I had cheated on a four hundred level or three hundred level neuroscience class. Now, my teachers had put this line in every single syllabus, academic dishonesty will result in immediate failure of the class, expulsion from the neuroscience school, and a meeting with the student conduct board. Every, like, every single syllabus had this. So it's not like I didn't know. Like, I, I totally knew what I was doing. But no one knew. That was the thing where it was like, wait, no one knows I did this, except for me. And God was like, hello, I know too. <laughs> All of a sudden, I leave this test, I turn it in, and I wake up the next morning, and it feels like someone had punched me in the gut. And this anxiety just sweeps through my system, and this guilt and this shame, and I just feel like a walking piece of poop. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, I just cheated on a test, but there's all these potential things that could go wrong. What do I do? Oh my gosh, I called my mom, and I went, hey, mom. She went, what'd you do? I can hear it in your voice. I was like, I cheated on a test. And she was like, all right. okay, give me a second. I just need to think about this. Call me back. Like, okay. So I called my dad. My dad was like, don't say anything. That would be awful. Like, to his credit, he was being practical. And he was like, I, I don't want to pay for another semester of school. Like, <laughs> it's like, that's true. I don't, want to, I don't want to stay here for another semester. Like, I want, to, I want to leave. I'm done with school at this point as I'm applying to graduate school right now, which is crazy. There's more school. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but 
I'm wrestling with this. My mom eventually calls me and says, Ryan, you need to respond to whatever the Lord calls you to. Now, it turns out the Lord was actually calling me to confess to my teacher. Um, that was why I felt all this anxiety because there was this internal battle going on between I know what I should do, which is tell my teacher and confess my sin. I know what I want to do, which is to keep my mouth shut. And I, it was like an immovable force or a movable object meets an unstoppable force. And I remember 2 a.m. sitting in my bed in Pullman and going, so what am I going to do? And God was like, you're going to tell your teacher. No, I'm not, God. And he was like, yeah, you are. We went on for like two hours. It was 4 a.m. before I was finally like, what do you want from me? And he went, I want you to trust me. Do you trust me, Ryan? Whoa. That question broke me. Do you trust me? And in that moment, I had this realization of, if I don't trust Jesus in these moments, how am I ever going to trust him for something like, God, is she the girl I should marry? God, should I take this job? God, my son just cheated on a test in school. What am I supposed to tell him? God, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, what do I do? If I didn't trust God in that moment, how could I trust him later on in life? And so the next morning, I sheepishly walked up to my teacher after class and said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, sure, Ryan, what's up? And he had these like two really weird eyes, so he kind of looked like Matt I. Moody, so you couldn't tell if he was looking at you or not. <laughs> he was awesome, super cool guy. And my friends are kind of waiting off behind me a little ways by the door, and they're like, dude, come on, we're going to be late for our next class. Like, hurry up. Calm, calm down. I'm like, it'll take a second. And I go, hey, uh, prof, I have something to tell you. I cheated on your test yesterday, or last week. And he, he kind of paused. He was like, what? Did, did the TA know? No, I didn't know. Why are you telling me this? I was like, this is going to sound crazy, but like, I'm a man of integrity and I cheated and God told me. And he kind of paused and then he said, Ryan, you're going to be late for your next class. Get out of here. I was like, what? He's like, go. Like, I, I don't want to talk about this. So I'm walking away and then all of a sudden he goes, hey, Ryan. Yeah. Dude, did you even study for that test? You did so bad. No, I didn't, okay? That's why I cheated, obviously. <laughs> Who cheats when they study? Now, the crazy thing was, when I went to talk to my professor, normally I would have been like, hey, how's it going? My stomach, like Mexican jumping beans in my stomach. I walked up with no, pee, or no anxiety, no confusion, like total peace. I almost just say no peace. <laughs> I had total peace. Um, and I realized... That, that was the question Jesus was posing the disciples. Do you trust me enough when the storm is raging to be your God? Do you trust my voice? Do you trust that my presence alone is enough to ensure that you will get through this storm? Now, back to my Yosemite story real quick. Jeff's faith, he went, so he was like, oh crap, I'm screwed, I'm having a heart attack. And then something weird happened. We were like, God, give us a way out of here. Like, help us escape. Help us get Jeff to safety. Jeff went, God, heal my heart. We were like, whoa, Jeff, you're having a heart attack. Like, we, we can't just heal your heart. And then he pulled us aside the next morning when we were supposed to, like, climb over this mountain pass. And he said, boys, something happened. I'm like, oh, crap, you had a real heart attack now. Like, I'm going to have to carry you. Good thing you weigh, like, 120 pounds. And he said... Jesus came up to me in a dream last night, and I was like, oh, this is getting weird. And he went, and he, he touched my heart, and I felt a zap through my entire body, 
And then he asked me if I trusted him. And I said, me being Jeff, I said, yes. And he said, God went, do you trust that I've called you here to be with these guys and walk through them and prepare them for the next phase of life? And Jeff said, yes. God said, go climb the mountain. And Jeff was like, are you sure? And he's telling us this, and we're like, are you sure? <laughs> like, we're literally going to be climbing a mountain, Jeff. Are you sure? And he went, yeah. And so CJ Happ and I are like, oh, crap. Like, this could be really bad. Like, it's already bad. This could be really bad. And Jeff said, don't worry about it. We, we don't have to worry. God is with us. And so there's this verse in Ezekiel that we started saying on the way up that CJ randomly thought of, and Jeff latched onto it. And I can't remember where it is. I just thought of this and just remembered it. But the verse went, he makes my feet like the deer. I will walk upon the high places. The Lord walks with me. So I have a picture of what the summit looked like. The entire way up, we're going, is he going to make it? Okay, he made it to 11,000 feet. Heck yeah. Wow, he made it to 12,000. We're at the summit. Guys, that is like 6,000 vertical feet down to that little patch of green. And that's Jeff right there. And Jeff made it. And we are so thankful he made it because it enabled us to do a crazy amount of adventure left. Um, we ended up climbing Half Dome at sunrise. That was super cool. Uh, you should do that. Leave your camp at like 3 in the morning. Climb everything in the dark. It's terrifying, but it's so worth it. You see the majesty of God on display. But the rest of the trip, we walked with the assurance that Jesus was with us. And I want to tell you, Jesus is with you guys. And he's asking you every single day, do you trust me? Do you trust me on this journey that I called you on? Like, if you know Jesus, you know peace, regardless of the situation. Now, our experiences when we trust Jesus give us confidence that he'll show up in the future. And our confidence brings trust in Jesus in the present. And our trust brings peace. And our peace lets us walk without fear. And the biggest thing the devil can use against you is fear. My biggest fear was that I was going to be failed out of school. Jeff's fear was that he was going to die, which is like a big fear. And growing up, my fear was that I was going to get scared. But the devil's power has no power anymore because Jesus broke fear on the cross when he died for all of you guys. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever shall believe in him will have eternal life. Guys, do we have the confidence to trust Jesus when it gets bumpy? Think about that. Thank you. Hey, Ben, come back up. Let me pray for us too, I forgot. Um, Hey, Jesus, thanks for giving us peace, Lord. Uh, would you walk with us um, in our daily days, God? Uh, would you walk with us in our weekly weeks, our monthly months, in our yearly years? Uh, Lord, you are awesome, and you give us peace. Father, give us the strength and the courage to trust your peace. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.